everyone. Welcome. Today is June the 12th, 2020. David and Brent joining you this week. Thanks for joining us. A couple things to share with you this week. So the first one is actually a project Brent and I have been working on for a few weeks. It's looking at ending stocks. So Brent, do you want to set up the rationale and the thinking? And then I'll, I'll share some of the data. And we have a post that's going to go up uh, here this morning. So make sure you check that out and we'll, we'll share some of the preliminary results with you. What we really wanted to get a sense of is just kind of how wide a range, if you look at history and start with the ending stocks we have, what's kind of the potential ranges of outcomes that can happen with weather problems and demand changes and all of that kind of stuff. So what we try to do is think about, and David built a simulation model to kind of account for and capture some of those uncertainties and give us a different way of looking at kind of the ending stocks to use ratio and what are the odds that, you know, even with a weather event, what where my ending, you know, what might be tight for ending stocks in this year? So we try to get a better handle on that. I think the results are pretty interesting. You really have to put on the May. Uh, so what do we know in May of each year? The USDA has an initial ending stocks for the crop that we're planning right now, that 2020-2021 marketing year. That ending stocks is at 22% of use. That's sort of the first flag on the ground. We're really curious, like Brent said, What's the range of possible outcomes based on what history might suggest? So here's a thing that you should ask yourselves as you're challenging your thinking. Which is more likely to occur in 2020? That ending stocks will come in below 14.5% or that ending stocks come in above 30%. So those are two really extreme events. Below 14.5%, we, we could see some positive price stories. Above 30%, we're going to have a, a ending stock scenario that plagues us for years. So, so a lot of data, a lot of background here, but I'll show you some of the conclusions. First off is we have a greater chance of corn ending stocks here in this marketing year being above 20% than below 20%. It's about a 55-45 split here. A lot of us are thinking like, oh, it's going to get better from here, but history would suggest that a big yield could really prevent us from falling below that 20% level. Another one is that the deck is stacked. Not only are we more likely to have ending stocks above 20% than below 20%. So not only is the deck stacked against us in that way, but it's actually one of the most bearish for prices outcomes here in 2020 compared to what we looked at over the last 20 years. And so take, for instance, right. the probability of corn getting above that 20% stocks use is the highest in 2020 than it is in any previous year. If we sort of put our May lens on and say, what do we know in May? And let's compare that over the past. And so it's very interesting to look at that. I'll answer that question that I posed to you earlier. The probability of going below 14 and a half and the probability of going above 30% is exactly the same. It's uh, at about 6% for both. You had to really think about that. That's a very wide, talk about the tails. It's a very wide distribution of possible outcomes here. Right. And I think, you know, what it's just illustrating is that when you start out with as big a stocks as we had, and then you plant as many acres of corn as we planted, you're swimming uphill in a big way. And I think, you know, this data is going to be useful now. And it, and it doesn't, you know, we're not saying that this is what it has to be. There's a whole bunch of things that could happen that could result in tight ending stock scenarios. It's possible. But it would take some pretty big events to make that happen. And again, we're not saying that, you know, there can't be a drought that would change the scenario. But right now, based on the data you, we have and how history has behaved with yields and other things, 
it's just setting up to be a pretty heavy stocks to use situation. And so something to keep in mind, I think, going forward. And I think it just means, again, that we're looking at pretty low prices in the farm economy. Probably the only way uh, we get through this without significant financial pain is for big government payments. And we've been saying that for a while now. And I think Illinois came out uh, the other day, I saw an article they wrote basically saying the same thing that, hey, here's the analysis without the government program payments. Illinois farmers are looking at like $90 an acre loss this year. Uh, with them, they're about at break even, I think. So that's just the way it's going to be unless something really big happens. So we modeled a thousand iterations of this to get that distribution, right? And so we're 2020 is only going to pull one of those out. And so yeah. we showed you a thousand combinations and we're going to pull out one. So it's just important to I think you learn a lot from card games, right? Um, there's not many aces in this deck. You might get one, right? The deck is right. stacked against this. We might get one, but we have to acknowledge that going into this, it's not very likely. And if we get one, that's, that's, good, that's a good outcome. And I think the other thing to take away here is even if we have a 2020-like yield event, the price response isn't going to be as great as it was maybe in 2018 when we had a tighter stock situation and less acres. But I think, Brent, you summarized that well. I looked at the data really closely. We have two things going on. We have, as of, of May, right, the USDA was expecting – uh, the second largest corn crop in modern history being planted, 97 million acres. And we have big beginning stocks at close to 2 billion. And so when you look back in history, we've planted big crops before and we've had big ending stocks before, but we're doing both of those in the corn situation here in 2020. And that really put, puts us behind, puts the deck against us, puts us behind the eight ball on a statistical basis. But we'll look at this for soybeans as well. Sort of an interesting way of looking at the data no one else is doing this. And so this is only going to be for the AEI premium readers. And so you're not going to see this anywhere else. We'll keep updating it and providing information as we, we see it. But it's Absolutely. all about helping you think about where we are relative to, to history and where we are relative to the range of possible outcomes. Right. The other thing, David, I was thinking about some stuff we had been writing about earlier were the exchange rates. You know, we were pointing out of how disadvantaged the United States was relative to, say, Brazil. And there's been some movement in that space in the last little bit. And Brazil is, I don't know, starting to become a major train wreck with the COVID and talk of coup and all kinds of other things going on down there. So definitely keep an eye on that. I think their exchange has moved uh, in our favor recently. But just keep watching that because that is a fluid situation down there and doesn't look to be a good one. About a month ago, if you looked at the 30-day window, one U.S. dollar would buy almost six Brazilian reals, and that's trended in our direction. So now you can buy almost five. It's, it's a change, and that's going to impact how they go to the market for the world. And so we'll continue to watch this. Again, I think it's probably positive news here as we think about our trade situation. Probably not going to see China come in and buy more than $35 billion worth of products here in the last <laughs> uh, in the last round. But um, it is a positive story for U.S. markets. But at the same time, we need to keep an eye on that Brazilian situation because, I don't know, as the disease moves around the world, there's a lot of moving elements, and we got to keep that in mind. It seems like South America has a lot of headwinds with respect to the corona. And the world relies on South America a lot. And that's important to keep in mind. It's hard to see how it will shake out. 
It's uh, definitely something to keep your eyes on. The last thing I have to share, I wrote up a little story. I have a podcast that I listened to the other day. It's called Hope Through History. I recommend you to look, check that out. I wrote a short summary of what I took away from it. But the key takeaway here is that the authors looked at five big events in history, the Great Depression, Churchill during World War II, polio, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and then that 1918 influenza pandemic. And they did a really good job. These are 30-minute podcasts, so they're not complete histories, right? There's volumes of chapter books written about each of these events. And they wrote a 30-minute podcast. They really were focusing on the decision-making. So if you go into this saying, I want to be a student of decision-making, you're going to learn a lot. And there's three big challenges, or three big lessons that I learned, and I share those. One is that it's easy to overweight the challenges that we face today. It's really easy for us to say today's more challenging or more dire or more urgent than anything that we've ever faced before. And you know those headlines of it's the worst sense fill in the blank. Like those really feed into that thinking. That doesn't help our decision-making. Whenever we try to say what we face today is different than anything ever before, it actually adds pressure and it can be paralyzing to our decision-making process. The second thing I learned is that as we know how the outcomes played out, and generally speaking, the outcomes were positive for uh, where we are today, um, it's easy to think that it's easy to overlook or underweight history's uncertainty. And so some of the resolutions, like a polio vaccine, right, wasn't a certainty. In history, it seems like it was inevitable, but it really wasn't in the time. And then the last point is on timing itself. These things take a lot of time to play out. Brent reminded me about this during the pandemic. Of course, I was the one saying, oh, we'll be back to work in 30 days. And here we are three months later. So timing, we have to be patient. All of these events took a lot of time to play out. So the Cuban Missile Crisis is kind of the exception. It was 13 days, but if you really dig into it, it was 13 days when the decision makers didn't sleep, right? So it was a whole lot of seconds and even took time for all of the details of the deal to play out. And so it wasn't, there were months before Russia removed the missiles from Cuba. And it was almost a year later when the U.S. actually removed the rush, the missiles in Turkey that we put in place. And so it was a fun thing to listen to. It really helped put some perspective. And the writers wrote this with COVID in mind, but we didn't spend a whole lot of time dwelling on COVID. And so it was nice to have sort of a fresh story to think about. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds really good. And, uh, I like all that kind of, kind of stuff. It reminded me, I think, of a book I read, Midnight in Chernobyl. That's another good book about decision-making. And it talks about kind of all the bad information and miscommunication and how all of that led to a terrible nuclear disaster. And there's just a lot of lessons in that today too. I mean, we, we have made a lot of decisions with really lousy data. We still don't know the answers to a lot of things about COVID and we, we just continue to, I think, make bad decisions. Eventually we'll, we'll get it figured out. And it does seem you know, David and I were talking about this earlier, at least in my opinion, that the trajectory is moving much more favorably on that right now. Of course, the stock market disagreed with that yesterday, I guess, and thought that, you know, maybe it was trending in a bad direction. But uh, my sense is that the data would suggest it's, it's slowing considerably. Well, let's keep in mind the stock market is pretty darn high in a lot of people's opinions compared to yeah. where, I mean, so stock markets 
almost unchanged from a year ago. And so we're coming off, the adjustment was from highs. So it's a lot of moving pieces here, a lot of things to keep in mind. Well, and that's true too. I mean, you know, the impacts, and we were talking about this earlier too, the impacts of this, we're going to see for months and years. It's not just going to be over and all of a sudden everything is back to normal. I mean, you're going to, the fallout of this is going to last for a long time. And uh, we're going to be picking up the pieces for quite some time. And I think maybe that's a little bit of what the Fed chairman said, too, as well. And uh, that freaked people out as well. But it's probably true. I've said this a lot of times, right? But we had sequestrations coming off our ARC and PLC payments in 2017 and 2018 from the the recession that happened in 2008 and 2009, right? That was a decade. and. All measures suggest that the stimulus response and the stimulus has been bigger. The economic fallout has been greater. And so there's no reason to think that the pain will be any less severe over a decade in, over the next 10 years than it was the last time. And so this is more significant uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. So two last stories I'll share from this podcast. You should really check it out. One was the 1918 influenza. The president at the time was Woodrow Wilson. Of course, we were fighting World War I. He never gave a public address or statement about the disease. Uh, Hmm. Never once even sort of acknowledged it. And they're pretty certain he actually contracted the disease while they were out negotiating the post-World War I agreements. And so you look back in history, right? You have a president who never even talked about this and was probably running around in Europe with the disease trying to negotiate the end of World War I. So that provides you some context. And with that, there's a great quote the book shared at the end, and it was, the future is unknowable, but the past should give us hope. And I think that's really uh, valuable. If we tell ourselves today has never been seen ever before, it can be overwhelming, but we, good students of history know that there have been challenges in the past and we have to, we have to keep that in mind. And so hopefully that provides you some pleasurable reading or listening experience this week. That's all I have to share this week. Brent, did you have anything else? Nope, just uh, everybody have a good weekend. I'm going to write a story this next week about the acreage situation. So don't forget the next big market mover will be the acreage report coming out at the end of June. So update the forecasts. All right, thanks so much. Have a good weekend. 